Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. I'm sorry, we are no longer in spooky season. We are now back with something hopefully a lot of you have seen, but I have a feeling that a lot of you have probably not seen this movie. But you know what? Hopefully this gives you an excuse to watch it because it's pretty fucking awesome. I am one of your co-hosts, 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 <laughs> co-hosts, BJ Colangelo, and with me as always, uh, directly across the room in my bedroom is my sexy, sexy wife. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Harmony Colangelo, and being across from you in the bedroom and you calling me sexy should make me more excited, but I <laughs> feel like very schluppy today, so. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a schluppy day, I think, for, for the both of us. Um, we are recording a little bit later in the day than we normally do, and, um, if you follow us on Twitter, then you know that we have uh, we have some rowdy neighbors. So if by chance you hear children screaming, people talking shit on the phone, people arguing inside of a car and slamming doors, um, that's just how we live. And if you don't hear it, then that means Harmony is really, really good at removing background noise when she edits <laughs> these episodes and be thankful. I will say, if we end up with the house of tw- young 20-somethings loudly singing Don't Stop Believing while drunk on a Monday, then I might just leave that. Yeah, we... So we're lucky that we have, like, really awesome neighbors that are just loud and rowdy, but then we also have horrible horrible like wears athletic socks up to the knees with polos and khaki shorts white boys who are just ohio's finest Uh, just terrible terrible human beings but people who are much better than all of them we have a guest today friends we have Comedian extraordinaire, the co-host of the Kicking and Screaming podcast, and the host of Top 5 on El Rey Network, we have Vanessa Grillo. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. I love this podcast. I'm excited (laughs) that you are here with us because, well, we both love you. and. I'm, I'm just excited you want to talk about this. So, Vanessa, what movie are you talking about with us today, and why did you choose it? I just want to say already I'm very much loving that this has such sleepover vibes that I'm, like, currently laying on my stomach, like, with my feet kicked up. Uh, <laughs> like, we're about to do one of those, like, uh, pick a color, pick a pick a number uh, things. 
But um, the movie I picked is a movie I've been like begging anybody to talk to me about for any amount of time, and that is Sydney White. Yes. Oh God, Sydney White. So, what is it about Sydney White that you love? Well, first and foremost, um, I grew up a huge Amanda Bynes fan. Um, Same. I have, I think and everyone did from a certain age range. I think <laughs> all of my favorite people are Amanda Bynes fans because, specifically, all of the stuff that she was on growing up were like pretty formative for like any girl that wanted to be funny whether it be like the amanda show or some of or um easy a or a lot of like the teen shows that she used to do she was like a pretty girl that did physical comedy which for like my generation we didn't really have one that did both mm-hmm. uh-huh. like i i very much wanted our molly shannon in terms of like willing to throw herself through a plate glass window and that's very much like early Amanda Bynes. Oh God, yeah, early Amanda, like Amanda Bynes on, I would say like on all that mm-hmm. was always my favorite. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great people that went through all that. I mean, Keenan Thompson for God's sakes. Yeah, but Amanda Bynes' commitment during like the Dear Ashley segments, where she just throws herself into a rage because the people writing her letters are so stupid. It's like you watch that and you're like, oh my God, I relate to this, where you just want to rip someone's heads off and tell them that they're an idiot for even coming near you. And it's like, oh, what an icon. Yes. And I watched like every Amanda Bynes movie growing up obsessively, even the one where Colin Firth is her dad, which I had a lot of weird feelings about because it was like, do I want (laughs) Colin Firth to be my dad or do I want to like kiss the weird, quiet British man? I don't know yet. I mean, I'm a big fat liar apologist Same. Uh, for, for one reason and one reason only. Paul Giamatti blew dancing around in a bathing suit to Hungry Like the Wolf. Like, that's how I want to live my life someday. I know. That's basically as a child where I realized like, oh, this is the same energy as Christian Bale in American Psycho. And I want to bring it to every like <laughs> dance that I do. But like, I really love Sydney White specifically because A, it was an Amanda Bynes vehicle. But B, I I now know as an adult I liked it because it had like a very inherently socialist message. Yes. Yeah, I was uh, very floored by that. So Harmony, have had you seen this, heard of this, knew anything about this movie until you know recently? Okay, so first of all, I want to say Vanessa, it's so nice talking to you because I've been following you on social media for a while now and you're one of BJ's many friends that I've never met because we're in (laughs) Ohio. So it's nice to talk to you. It's so nice to talk to you too because I feel like I've just been a huge fan of yours from afar. Like I like ordered your cocktail book and have been like pouring through it. Ha, did not mean to make that pun. Um, (laughs) But also in general, just like whether it be by social media, I'm just like, oh my God, her takes are so good. Thank you. I really feel like we've been uh, like Pony Express writing through the mail, like across the war of what news do you bring of the world by listening to each other's podcasts, but not actually physically talking to each other. Right? <laughs> so when BJ was telling me that like she was scheduling you to be on the podcast and she says, oh, she really wants to talk about Sydney White. I go, what the fuck is Sydney White? <laughs> So if that gives you any idea, I have no idea what this film was before we sat down to watch it. And (laughs) And I've never even heard of it. And I think this movie is also one that even even a lot of teen girls missed. And I I haven't really been able to wrap my head around why everybody missed this movie because I think it fucking rules. But uh, 
let's uh, let's ask our friends over at Fandango, and by friends, I mean the people who I just read their website off of every week. Friends of the show. Friends, <laughs> friends of the show, Fandango. Um, this is uh, what they have to say about Sydney White. College freshman Sydney White, played by Amanda Bynes, arrives at Southern Atlantic University determined to pledge her late mother's sorority. Unfortunately, she finds that sisterhood has changed since her mom's day. Banished to a condemned house, Sydney joins forces with seven outcasts to take over the student government and win equal rights for nerd and a noted alike. Sure, that's a synopsis. I guess you could say that's what that movie's yeah. about. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that kind of encapsulates it. A little bit, but even then, like, there's so many elements to it that I feel like are kind of hard to articulate whenever I describe it to someone. Because I'm like, all right, there's the first layer of, like, the Sydney White thing, and it's clearly doing a Snow White thing, but it didn't, Mm -hmm. like, mark it that it was doing a Snow White thing. So that was just kind of, like, a surprise as you started watching it. And it very much was, like, labeled under the typical Amanda Bynes romp. Uh, But I feel like it did the John Hughes thing better than a lot of John Hughes movies did because it very much was like, you know, we all come from like different walks of life, but we all want the same thing. But almost always every movie that like has that message, it's like five to seven very pretty normal people asking for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's like the one person who's not normal has to change everything about themselves in order to, you know, find true happiness. And in this movie, for the most part, everybody sort of just is who they are. Yeah, like nobody really changes, which like the movie that this reminded me of the most, but it was like, you know, very gender swapped in a lot of ways was uh, The House Bunny. I love the house bunny. <laughs> oh my god, the house bunny so good. But this reminded me a lot of that, but instead of having a like Zeta Girls song and dance number while they clean their house, this one's like, oh hey, no, you don't have to get like ridiculous makeovers and have a really cheesy song. You just you're fine. You just, you know, let's make you not quite as awkward and we're good. Yeah, it was the first movie that didn't try to like do the hey, let's de-goth the goth girl or like let's pretty up the nerd trope. Mm-hmm. Um, that very much was like, it, it, it didn't do that thing where it's like, let's conform to like what other teenagers find to be normal, but instead was like, Hey, we all have a very bare minimum standard quality of life that we'd like to enjoy. And it keeps going to the elites. <laughs> and it, I, I was trying to think like, why didn't it catch on? And I like looked at some of the similar releases on the same weekend. And even then There are movies that, like, haven't stood the test of time, but I can kind of see, based on their popularity, why it was watched instead. Because, like, the same weekend, Good Luck Chuck was released. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) I've seen that movie a lot on Comedy Central back in the day. Yeah, and it was, like, at the height of Dane Cook's uh, popularity. And then that weekend before, but, like, I know it was still doing well for, like, several weeks after, was Across the Universe. Um, oh yeah so it was was kind of crushing right so it was like two movies that basically siphoned any kind of audience that would have been like the sydney white audience yeah okay this that's really unfortunate for for sydney white because i think good luck chuck just let's let's be gone with that yeah across the universe i can see (laughs) see yeah is standing the test of time but sydney white is the Far superior comedy to Good Luck Chuck, but imagine trying to convince, you know, your teen boyfriend to go see the Amanda Bynes Snow White allegory when he could watch, you know, Dane Cook is in trouble because every time he fucks somebody, they fall in love. (laughs) 
I know. Even that weekend, I remember specifically wanting to go, and I couldn't even see it until it was like on DVD release because, and I forgive him because I enjoyed myself. My brother insisted we go see Time Crimes instead. Um, time Crimes is awesome. I love Time Crimes. <laughs> I love Time Crimes. So like, fine choice. Uh, hard to get like a a a adult boy to like go see Sydney White with you. So I'm like, I'm happy we saw Time Crimes, but I fell in love with the movie once I finally saw it on DVD release. I think that's where I saw it first too. I definitely did not mm-hmm. see it in theater. I think honestly, it might have been at a sleepover, which is what we're totally doing right now. We're having a sleepover. <laughs> we're all in the same room together. We're not across the country. It's fine. Yeah, and if I can interrupt this conversation to include a a, a Dane Cook story. Oh no. Ooh. <laughs> so, first of all, I Dane Cook is like my favorite punching bag, just short of Limp Biscuit. So. <laughs> So, mm, I, I love the Dane Cook-isms, but <laughs> I distinctly remember the very first time I ever saw the movie Waiting, which I love to absolute pieces. I love dirtbag Ryan Reynolds from this era. Oh, like same. This, or yeah. like Adventureland. He's so good as being a like shithead. But when Comedy Central would air Waiting, they'd be like, starring Ryan Reynolds and Anna Faris and Dane Cook. And Dane Cook has like three lines yeah, he in says, that like, movie. Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. Does the the don't fuck with your food speech. That's it. There's <laughs> like, a thing at the very end where the guy's like, I hate you. And he's like, what the fuck did I do at the end? And it's yeah. like, well, that's how everyone feels yeah, about it. Yeah, uh, you Cook know, starring, starring role. Starring role, Dane Cook. <laughs> starring role, three lines, Dane Cook. <laughs> well, this is not a Dane Cook podcast. So let's, uh, let's get God. back on track to, <laughs> to Sydney White here. So with our main characters, this is like such a hard one to do main characters versus side characters, but we're going to try. So let's start with our first main character. Let's go with the titular role. Let's go with Sydney White. Captain's could use a girl like you. I should know. They're our sister sorority. Oh, so we'll be like brother and sister. Not in, you know, the related familial way, but, you know, more in the fraternal, sororal, sororal? Is that a word? <sighs> Sorry. I kind of tend to overtalk when I'm nervous. It's a disease. One without a cure, so stop me anytime, please. You nervous? Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not you. Tyler, was it? No, it's because of the whole rush, you know, the very term rush is an amp rougher. It amps up the old nerves. <laughs> I have to go. Harmony, what do you think of Sydney? She's really nice. She's a nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love that all of the uh, construction workers that are friends with her very hunky dad, like they're all like nice uncle types and they're sensitive. And I just keep like looking at Big Ron going like, oh, Big Ron, you seem so nice. I want to give you a hug. <laughs> I love How them about- a lot. I think that's such a good like family system for her to have had where I feel like it's just like, oh man, she expects better from men. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you brought up her dad being kind of a hunk because when we were watching it, Harmony looks at me and is like, he's kind of given like Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibes. And now like that's all I can think about is like he Brad Pitt's emulating this dad in Sydney White, but in not the same decade. He's he's a very hunky working class blue collar guy and I'm I'm really a big fan of both those roles <laughs> for it. Yeah, I was like upon rewatch I forgot that like um the first few watches I didn't find him that attractive, but I think it's also cuz I was like younger and lusting for Dinky um when I was like <laughs> cuz like as a teenager that's like the exact kind of girl that I was just like hell yes and then as like an adult uh, an adult woman, I was like, 
oh hello and then i looked him <laughs> up and i had no idea that he was like one of the dukes in the dukes of hazard is he <laughs> He's Bo Duke in the Dukes of Hazard. Oh my god! And then I just got into like a weird John Schneider Google hole where I was just like, "Wait, he has country singles." Um, the man has nine studio albums, and he's kind of a babe. Incredible! What a life he has lived. Congratulations to him. Right. I hope he's most proud of Sydney White. I don't think that this is probably the thing he's most proud of, but. We may be most proud of him for being Hopefully in it. Hopefully, he's at least <laughs> fairly proud of it. Yeah, I hope so too. But okay, I before we get on Sydney, I really like her dad because he's a good dad, and like that's that's a nice thing. He seems very like a good father, and I'm a sucker for good parents in teen movies because my parents are fucking shit. <laughs> but I really, really love that good dad has good friends. Yeah, because like that makes sense, and you don't see that that often in movies where it's like, oh no, of course, if you're a good person, you're gonna keep good company. Yeah, and I feel like that very much was apparent in Sydney's character specifically, where um, I don't know when it comes to like my upbringing and my interactions with people, I feel like I was just kind of set to always be sus of someone before, whenever they like expressed kindness or like the desire to get to know me. Um, mm-hmm. which kind of like puts up immediate walls. And Sydney's the kind of character that I always wished I could be, where she just always upon immediately immediate face value is like, oh, I I trust that you're like good and decent person until you prove otherwise. Yeah, that's like a really nice outlook that I can't trust. Right? Where <laughs> <Like, laughs> I'm immediately it's suspicious very of that. idealized. Yeah, for real. I used to be that way, and then life has just, like, beaten that out of me over the years, mm-hmm. where, because I, I look back at when I was really, really young, because um, I have a very different, you know, parental experience than most people, in that my parents were very social people. Like, they, like, ex- my, like, my parents are, like, it's, like, everywhere they go is cheers. Like, in my area where I grew up, it was impossible for me to go places without somebody being like, oh, hey, how's the, how are the folks? How are they doing? And people would like know things about me because they knew my parents. And I'm like, I don't know the fuck this person is. And now I'm <laughs> getting that because of you on social media. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about it. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up around like this very large community because my parents their friends were over all the time. Like we cooked out all the time. We always had, you know, somebody would just show up every night after work and it's like, Hey, we're going to watch, you know, the Cubs game and have a couple beers. And I'm like, that's cool, whatever. So I was definitely like the, you know, it takes a village sort of child. So I really identify with Sydney in that, like I had all of these really great parental figures growing up, but at the same time, once you start leaving that safety net and you start realizing, oh, some people suck. Some people are terrible. Um, it just like kind of whittles away after all these years. And now that I've been living not anywhere near where I grew up for many years now, eh, yeah, it's probably gone at this point. I don't think I, I think I assume the worst of people. And then I am pleasantly surprised when they're not garbage. If you have low standards, people can only exceed them. Yeah, they can't disappoint me. <laughs> they could just be surprising. And I feel like with Sydney, because she, like, sets these standards for people, I'm more angry when they don't meet that. Uh, because how she's like, How dare they do that to her? How dare they do that to her? Because she, like, only puts her best foot forward. And, like, all of her interactions in the Kappa house are 
kind of early for a lot of teen girl. I want to say all of them because I love a lot of teen girl movies, but she never sees another woman as an enemy, like at any point. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, that's that's something that's really, really good to tap into because I think that can transition us into talking about Rachel Witchburn mm-hmm. played by the absolutely flawless Sarah Paxton. She just crushes this role. But Sarah Paxton's character... Rachel sees every woman as the enemy. Yes. Everybody is somebody that she needs to keep below her if she wants to ex- wants to succeed. There can only be one person at the top of the hot or not like list. Like it's lit- like the magic mirror metaphor for this is literally a hot or not list where she has to be number one or she loses her shit. Also, how did they do such a good such a good job of like illustrating how social media was gonna like rot her brains? Because <laughs> she checks it every morning. Oh, they, it's like on, on a timer. Like, she what has is her it? Routine. They updated, I think, at like four o'clock, mm-hmm. is what it is, because it's like mm, four o'clock, gotta look at this now. But I really like Rachel because she's, honestly, she's kind of how people are now versus how people were in 2007. She's, mm-hmm. she's the cynic that a lot of people have grown into. But Sydney's the idealist who wants to build everyone up. And I really love her interactions with all of the other girls in her sorority house because later when they inevitably turn on Rachel, it's like, oh, hey, you're not fickle. You were just kind of corrupted by a bad person. And Mm -hmm. we see that you want to be better people by welcoming Sydney and her like, you know, hey, let's have bacon for breakfast. And they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And her brown hair. Yeah. Like she never at any point takes the I'm not like other girls stance when introducing these things to these other girls. Mm -hmm. It's never like, well, I can eat whatever I want or like you're ridiculous for liking the things that you like. She just leaves the invitation open and it's already so much more inviting than like anything Rachel Witchburn has to offer. But you can like also see why Rachel Witchburn is an idealized, like that's what I want to be for these other girls because she has all of the resources and they would like some of them. Mm Mm-hmm. They're, cl- they're chasing her clout. Yeah. And I have this very weird sort of empathy for somebody like Rachel mm-hmm. because I don't see Rachel as somebody who is inherently, like, evil. I think she was made this way. Yeah. Like, this is... She's Tommy Lauren. Like, she's somebody who you know, desperately needed to find a way to be at the top. And this is the in that she found and she will do anything to keep it. And it just makes me very, I'm, I'm sad for her more than I hate her. Yes. I think Sarah Paxton does a really good job of like making you want to feel that empathy for her. Cause Rachel's very much that like, I feel like you see this a lot, whether it's in like entertainment industries or like any kind of creative industry where there are very limited positions or roles for women. Uh, Mm -hmm. you kind of have this thing trained into you where it's like there can only be one there's only one hole for like what your shape is and you have to be the one that fits into it and then no one else can so you're kind of trained to realize that you have to uh, backbite or you have to find ways to make yourself the only one for the sake of survival and then you have someone else comes along and they don't understand that so you just pose that you feel like they're a threat you feel like their kindness is just another way to like get to where you were which is the only space for you to exist oh yeah absolutely especially because like most entertainment related things like as using that as an example the diversity amongst cast and positions is like oh we got a woman that's it that's all we need you're the one Mm -hmm. yep 
And with Rachel being, you know, the the student council president, she's at the very, very top and she knows that, like, this is her spot to lose. Mm -hmm. Because the unfortunate reality is that, like, men can, you know, mediocre their way to the top and keep getting advances. But, like, once a woman's at the top, you have to stay there and maintain it because there's a very high likelihood that you'll never get it back. Yeah, it's like a devil wears Prada kind of thing. Oh my god, she eventually just becomes Miranda Priestly. That is the future of <laughs> She has to be an uber bitch in order to maintain her stylish haircut and power. Uh, I feel like, like Rachel Witchburn now, because this came out in like 20, 2007, so like, you know, over a decade later, I feel like current Rachel Witchburn, she's graduated college, she holds an executive position, and she has like an asymmetrical haircut that no one can hope to pull off. Oh god, yeah. It's like the and it's like the perfect like straight line mm-hmm. asymmetrical haircut. Like there are no layers here. This is like she is a shape. That's what's happening. <laughs> now now that Amanda Bynes is like kind of getting her life together after some rough years there, can we get a sequel to Sydney White now where this is real? <gasps> I want I that want so bad. I would love that forever. Speaking of hair though, we we can't move away from Sydney White without addressing the fact why the fuck is Amanda Bynes wearing a wig in this movie? Is she wearing a wig i was trying to figure she it out she is wearing a wig in this movie and i have done so much research trying to figure out why she's wearing the wig and nobody knows no one has an idea the only thing that like a couple people have thought about is that she may have had some like lighter blondness going on because this is right around the time that she was probably prepping or shooting hairspray and she can't be blonde and be sydney white because that's the whole point is that she's not like them even yeah. though she's not saying i'm not like other girls like she's presenting as that way so that's the only i guess hypothesis people have but yeah that shit is a wig i mean that's a pretty nice wig. i don't know why it took me so long to realize that and then i realized it's because it was still styled in like the signature amanda Bynes haircut for this era yeah which was yeah. two little tendrils right at the front of the forehead right down the face and either like a super high ponytail or it's like slightly pulled back but you have those two teeny weeny little tendrils always right in front of the face in every Amanda Bynes movie you've got to have them you've got it's like the Anna Cohn in pen 15 strings that she just pulls on when she's nervous yes. like it's just ooh, gotta have those those front ones you got they frame your face a little bit they you know they they help it so that there's something else going on it's not just skin mm-hmm so I mean, they I, also help hide it. the line that would prove that it's a wig. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's keeping it. It's keeping it forward. You're not looking for edges. So that's that's true. That's true. Um, and I like to think the the antithesis of of Rachel it to me is not Sydney White. It is it is Tyler Prince, and it is this little dreamboat that we've got going on here, um, played by Matt Long. When I see you smile, I can face the world. Oh, you know I can do anything. When I see you smile, I see a ray of light. I see you shining right through the rain. When I see you smile, baby, when I see you smile at me. Um, I have mixed thoughts on Tyler, but I I'm curious first, Harmony, what do you think of Tyler? I think he seems like a very pleasant boy <laughs> who probably is very Republican. Mm-hmm. But 
He is the kind of nice guy who's going to be like, oh, well, I mean, I'm trying to impress you. Let's go to a soup kitchen for <laughs> our first date, which mm-hmm. is good, but also bad. So maybe it's good for bad reasons. Yeah. Vanessa, what do you think of Tyler? So I feel like Tyler is like the great college boyfriend um, until you like kind of figure out uh, how much of like the nice things he does are nice things because they look great on admissions papers. A lot of like Tyler's niceness, I'm trying to figure out where it comes from. Uh, cause it's not like nothing and nothing about like the upbringing or the company he keeps or like the circles that he runs in or the things in life points to like, oh, this is why he is a nice person. And a lot of it very much feels like, well, this is like a cool thing to impress a girl or this is like what feels right. He's nice. He's like, he's perfectly nice. I, I guess like, okay to, he's not my type. Uh, <laughs> even in high school, <laughs> he was very much like, uh, he's pretty, I guess. But especially for, like, a gal like Sydney, I was like, oh, he's going to be, like, a really nice guy until you get, like, a job somewhere else and you find someone that you mesh with better. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that one. So my mixed feelings about Tyler are I think that he is the boy that goes on missions trips and think, like, genuinely believes that he's doing the right thing and is the type of guy where it's like, I'm not racist. Look at me helping all of these poor Ethiopian children. I think there's a lot of white saviorism going on within Tyler. And it's one of those things where it's like, what, you know, what's worse? The person who is like on front street, a piece of shit, or the person who just really doesn't understand what they're doing. I think Tyler is, um, He's probably the guy that considers himself socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Yes! Oh my god. I think he's that guy. <laughs> and I agree. I think he's great for Sydney in college. And then I think uh, when he realizes that she actually has dreams and ambitions and doesn't just want to get married and like buy a house in the suburbs, uh, they will break up. Yeah, and like specifically something you just said made me realize something about Tyler. Because you like brought up the missions trip guy, which I've met so many of. And I realized... He didn't give a shit about the vortex that he knew was inhabited. He knew people lived there. He didn't give a shit about it being dis- like destroyed until he put a face to the people there. And it's like, uh-huh. why do you have to know who they are to even feel empathy for a stranger? Yeah, this is a uh, this is the Republicans who vote against gay rights until their son comes out as gay. That's like, Tyler. He's that <laughs> <laughs> I think he, I think he knows how to be nice. But he doesn't necessarily feel the nice, which is like, oh, the homeless. You're supposed to take care of the homeless because that's a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. These random nerds, there's no rules lit- written about how I'm supposed to be nice to nerds. So I don't have to care. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think that that's, that, that's exactly who he is. And I think the unfortunate reality is I think everybody listening right now knows that person. Yeah. We, we all went to high school with that person or we all went to college with that person or maybe they are our coworker and they are the person who just tries really, really hard at potluck. But we all we all know a Tyler Prince and yes, they're, they're very, very nice. But um, way more interesting than Tyler are, are our nerds, our seven dorks. Oh, our menagerie of colorful characters. Where, who should we start with? Harmony, I'm just going to throw, throw it to you. Which dork do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I feel like we need to talk about Lemmy first yes. because he's he's like the main one. He's, he's not Jay Baruchel. 
He is so a Jay Baranchel. <laughs> like, the reason this kid probably did not get more roles is because Jay Baranchel is more popular. I superimposed this actor to Jay Baranchel in my head, and then I was like, oh, right, that's not him uh, when I started watching it. And then I realized I had a deep attraction to Lenny, and I had a deep attraction to Jay Baranchel, and I then looked at my fiancé, and I have a type. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I like about him is he's not just Beige, Jay Baronshaw. He's Jay Baronshaw mixed with Jerry Trainer from like iCarly and Drake and Josh. You smash them together oh and you get this man. Yes. Yeah, that's very, very true. I I love Lenny. I just have this thing for like endearing little dorky boys who just are living their living their life, little hypochondriacs. Um, I, I was friends with a lot of those boys. Like those were, those were the boys that didn't like ever make me feel threatened growing up. And they definitely like, they didn't want to like ask me out, which was always nice. It was like, oh no, these are just the boys I hang out with. They probably do chorus work in theater. Yeah. Like I love, I love Lenny as a character and you know, the type of person that he em- uh, embodies. He's so flabbergasted when she asks him like, Hey, do you want to go on a date with me? And he's like, what, what? <laughs> me? It's like midnight. Okay, but I'm very confused and happy about it, but okay. I love when Dinky hits, like when Sydney has to explain to him that Dinky's hit on him and he goes, no, <laughs> because like it's so genuine and it's like, oh, I, I like you. It's like, you're great. You don't realize that you're cute yet, that you have like all of the components of being like a cute, good boyfriend yet. And you haven't realized that the women around you are, like, starting to realize what makes the men around them shitheads. Right. <laughs> well, this is also, like, pre-Big Bang Theory and pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe nerddom. Yes. So th- this was, like, the last stage of nerds being, like, not socially cool yet. Right. We we noticed that, too, when Sydney like, busts out her comic book collection. Well, first, Harmony was like, oh, those are, like, actual comic books. It's not just shit they made up for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you listen to them talk, it's like, this doesn't feel cringy because it doesn't feel like they're shoehorning in references. It just feels like authentic geek conversation. And, like, those are my people. This is the kind of setting where you will see all of these people while you are visiting your local comic book shop. Yes. those are These the, are the people hanging out talking shop. They're the people that are, like, they hang out and they actually, like, do play Magic the Gathering and they're not, like, shitheads about inviting you in to play. They're the people that I have fallen deeply in love with in any city that I move into because they're the ones that I make friends with the fastest. Because um, I think when you are, like, a mutual fan of niche media you you end up speeding up a lot of the casual banter stages and become quicker friends oh yeah absolutely so tell me about the vortex what's it like uh i guess you call it a a haven uh, for people who don't have anywhere else to go god some of us didn't get along with our roommates some of us made others feel you know uncomfortable uh some of us wet the bed some of us wet the hallway uh, all of us are outsiders. Yeah, I know what that's like. I want to take like a, a, a detour. We'll come back to our nerds because we've just mentioned her a few times. But I want to talk about Dinky. And Vanessa, I'll have you go first since like you love her so much. I love Dinky. Well, 
what, what do you love about Dinky? Tell me about her. I love Dinky because Dinky is the kind of girl that I would have unfairly liked in high school. That like once I worked out some like once I was introspective with some of my like insecurities and issues with myself, I would have realized how I was unnecessarily mean to Dinky and then wanted to be best friends with her. Um, because she's like the kind of nice where she's so pretty, but then you're like threatened by how pretty she is, but then she's kind, so you're like when you have internalized insecurities, you like want to hate that more because it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, you like yourself and you're nice to me, so I have no reason to like you. I'm gonna lash out at that. Uh, <laughs> and then you grow older, and then you realize like dinkies are just like your writer dies. They never ever look at you like you're some kind of way or some type of person. They're the ones that like when you let let's say if we're talking hypothetically about like a certain curly haired young lady me who like didn't know what to do with her hair (laughs) tries to figure it out and then they look at you and go oh honey and then they like kindly and judgmental free help you out uh I love that kind of character and I I never really got to see her a lot growing up because your dinkies were usually like presented a certain kind of way and then they're like two-faced um Mm -hmm. Uh or they're like airheaded and it's treated like it's something against them and it's like well she's not smart so therefore she doesn't have value um and she's never presented that at any point she's just like a good loyal friendly like funny human being that wants to do her best and i love me a dinky i cannot agree with you more i love her so much and then you add the fact that she's also southern so -hmm. she has this like cute little accent to everything and it just i don't i don't know what it is about people who obviously do not live there we tend to romanticize like accents that we don't have but there's something about dinky that is just so fucking endearing and growing up like i had a dinky and like her name is caitlin (laughs) and she is now like an amazing mother and like is super happy and has like the most perfect picturesque little instagrammable life and i know so many people who if they did not know her would look at her and be like she's not a real person like nobody is this perfect and i'm like but she is and she's kind. She's so nice and wonderful. And you just feel like a better person being around her. Yeah, I love those girls. Mine in high school, and I sincerely hope she's listening to this, she was the principal's daughter and the pastor's daughter. And she was beautiful. Oh my God. <laughs> and she sang in the choir. And she was like on student council. And everything about her was like, uh, I can't stand her. Allie seems like such a dick. And then like when I came out as bi, I was like fully expecting her to be like, a dick like everyone else and she was like one of the few students that like defended me uh and ride or die ride or die just i swear to god those girls they're the ones who will like dress up in like the cute little like knee-high boots at thanksgiving but like throw elbows at an uncle for being mean to a gay cousin yes yes Uh that's exactly who dinky is Mm -hmm. I don't have my own dinky story, but there was definitely that moment where Rachel is judging everyone and she dinky comes up to her and she goes lose the big hair we're not in dallas anymore and makes her sad and i'm like i am going to get a pitchfork i am coming for this woman how dare she i'll fight her i will fight her for dinky oh god dinky like and she really is that non-judgmental friend because when she first meets sydney and sydney's like i don't have any clothes to wear to this thing she basically is like oh honey and then gives her a dress like that's so kind of her other people would be like sucks to suck but she's like no i'm gonna help you and that's just 
we need more women helping women, friends. This is what we need more of in this world. I know. Yeah, none of the other women in this house necessarily have names or personalities aside from three of them. But I don't know if Sydney rooming with anyone else, if they would have been so nice or if they would have been a little too like they had drank the Rachel Mm Kool-Aid and would have been like, what Mm -hmm. do you mean you don't? Uh." Do you know who Dinky is to me? She's the the moment in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Dinky Dinky now works at Vogue. She's not following <laughs> yes. what all of the other girls are doing. She's like, no, I'm doing what's right. And it's like, oh, I love her. She's great. She did her I'm own also thing. also loving that we're just fantasy booking everyone's future careers post-college. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for her to work at Vogue. I would, I would take fashion advice from Dinky in a heartbeat. So... Let's go back. Let's go back to our, uh, our our dorks, and we don't have to go through all seven of them because some of them are far more prominent than others. Mm-hmm. Some are a little one note. Yeah, some are a little little one note. Um, like Spanky to me, like okay, I got it. I, I get that character. Like, Spanky, I think, is just that actor doing his freaks and geeks performance, and you know, fifteen years later or whatever. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It, it's very much like. It's the early prototype of, like, the angry nerd thing that you see on, like, Big Bang Theory. Um, But now that it's mostly just used as, like, misogyny 2.0. Spanky was, like, the earlier version of that that wasn't as aggressively so. So back when it was, like, still friendly and harmless. Yeah, that's, yeah, Sam, Sam Levine or Sam Levin is his name. I, I don't know, pronunciations. Uh, like he's, he's doing a fine mm-hmm. job, but speaking of the characters where like looking back at them now, oh, like I feel oh, so oh, very different. Oh. Yeah. Um, thinking about like Gherkin, I remember in like 2007 being like, oh, okay, I get this guy. And now I'm like terrified of him. Like so upset by him like i don't i forgot that he wears a fangoria t-shirt for almost the entire movie oh yeah (laughs) and and then like it like i don't i had like a very visceral reaction where he's like angrily writing a blog about like how the world is fucked in a fangoria t-shirt and i was like this is a guy that would follow me out of a convention and try to wear my skin like oh no this place is a death trap how about some repairs Sydney, don't start. You know why we can't get any damn repairs? I'll tell you why. Campus-wide systematic Greek oppression. Readpeoplepleasure.com if you want to know more. I did a whole series on it. I don't know what this house needing repairs has to do with the Greek system anyway. It isn't even Greek. Precisely. That's the problem. Rachel Whitford and the Greeks run the student council. The student council dictates all budget appropriations. It was especially upsetting because we watched this the night after we watched the documentary Feels Good Man. Oh, oh my no. God. It was the worst. Like, it was the worst back to back. Like, this guy, this guy is a neater and he's on 4chan and he's going to put Trump in the White House and everyone's going to die. Yeah, this character is like morphed into something entirely different a decade later and it made me wildly uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's, you were talking about like uh, this movie talking about social media, like, melting our brains. I do not know how Sidney White predicted, like, what Gherkin would become, but, whew! Like, somebody on Stormfront message boards, like, Gherkin was a character that, again, I, like, kind of found pretty harmless until this most recent rewatch, and I was like, no, I am scared of him, because, like, I forgot about the Fangoria t-shirt thing, too. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my god, 
he's those commenters that are like the fact that she talked about horror and fashion in the same article means she's ruining the thing that I like and I hate her and I want to follow her on everything she has to tell her how much I hate her. Uh, we uh-huh. have we spent a whole month talking about those people. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And like, it just took a couple of years in between my last watch to be like, oh, you're the guy that keeps making accounts after I keep blocking you. Oh God, yeah. And the fact that he's like, and it's it's part of his DNA. Like he's he's a blogger and he lives on the computer. He lives online, and that is just. Oh God, it's so uncomfortable, and it just well, especially because he has like so much superiority. Where it's like, well, yeah. my game's better than the games that are actually out. Like, oh, my blog is better than everything. I'm speaking the truth to the people. They don't want to hear. They're sheeple. Uh. Yeah, like this dude has a manifesto, and that freaks me the fuck out. Like, I don't, I don't want that I, in my life. <laughs> I like briefly dated a gherkin. Um, the entire time, I truly wonder if there was like a gas leak on my home, and that's why it lasted as long as it did. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I dated somebody that was purely the result of having antidepressants that were too strong, and then once I switched medication, it was like, oh no, what what is this? Right. So um, you just get like it's okay. <laughs> those smelling salts where you're just like, where have I been? And like, <laughs> he was this like wannabe director dude who would very like gherkins like um you know like my games better than other people's games. People would be like, oh, have you seen any cool movies lately? And he's like oh, I'm just too busy creating to really, like, watch anybody else's content. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Gherkin. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad that this is an audio format because all I want to do is just make, like, the biggest, like, jerk-off motion <laughs> and just, like, pretend to come on my own face and, like, rub it in because that's what that guy would do. Oh, my God. Fuck that guy. If you just want to, like, really dunk on, like, a very specific Gherkin type of dude, I've always just wanted to mention this on a podcast because, again... I cannot believe I spent this amount of time with, like, a gherkin type. But he literally was like, you know, if I had to have, like, a certain kind of name for my kind of filmmaking, I think it would be, like, No Wave. <laughs> what? I know! Oh. And I was like, is it because you've never actually made anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, yeah, I... I also dated a filmmaker and like I am a filmmaker so I should also like kick my own ass <laughs> but <laughs> I mean I think you're pretty great. Thank Aww. you. That's very sweet of you. But yeah, the filmmaker that I dated was not great and definitely there were these moments where I was just like, "Huh? Like what? <laughs> what? Like we are in Ohio. Like <laughs> we are not doing shit. <laughs> like we're ch- we are trying, but like no no no. No know where we are, know our place in the group, know our our, our place in society. <laughs> oh, God. So I'm going to move away from Gherkin because I'm starting to, like, get hives just, just so, thinking. Oh, I've been scratching can I, can I lead it away from Gherkin to the polar opposite of Gherkin, whom I love? Yes. It is Walton Goggins, made of rainbows, <laughs> George. Oh, George, you little tiger scout, junior tiger scout, you. Knots are hard. I love George so uh, much. He's so fucking precious. I, I'm such a sucker for really endearing or really well-written, likable, stupid characters. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy to write them and just them fall super flat. So when they aren't, it just warms my heart so much. I love that a lot of people, like, their happy endings were like, I met a really cool partner, or I made a lot of money, or like, you know, I'm like, settling into my own skin. And George's truest happy ending and he really does feel like this was like a full circle coming of age moment for him was learning how to correctly tie a knot. Mm -hmm. It is. 
it is one just so fucking cute and I know that that's like a little patronizing because I'm <laughs> like I'm definitely infantil like infantilizing this grown adult but there is so much physical acting that George has throughout this entire movie mm -hmm. that if you're not paying attention you're gonna miss how brilliant he's being. Like, there's one moment where everybody's talking and he's just eating peanut butter out of the jar and it keeps getting stuck to the roof of his mouth and he's trying to, like, get it off of his mouth. And, like, he doesn't have any lines. He's not saying anything. The camera isn't on him. That was just a choice. And it is <laughs> so fucking funny. And, like, the second you catch it, you're like, I can't stop looking at you. Like, you're so hilarious and so cute. And I just want to hang out with you and teach you how to tie your shoes. Like, this is all I want to do with my life. Yes, the man does so much acting with his eyes. Oh, God, yeah. The, like, he's just got, like, those really big brown eyes and that, like, thousand-yard stare. Like, when everybody's booing Rachel Witchburn's, uh, like, campaign ad. Or not, not booing, they're just, like, rolling their eyes at it. And he's just applauding into the abyss. <laughs> Everything about him was like, oh, I would have, I would have loved you. I would have not only like loved you, but I would have stayed up on late night phone calls helping you try and interpret what like, I don't know, a weird email from someone meant where it's like, they used an exclamation mark. Are they yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then this, this brings my, I like, I love him so much. I want to protect him. Yes. He's like a little sunflower. And there's the point where everyone's having their, like, montage moments of growth, and he's doing, like, an army obstacle course, and there's supposed to be this endearing thing where, like, oh, they're helping him over the wall. I'm like, George, you stay the fuck away from the army. Stay the <laughs> fuck away from there. They will ruin you, you precious angel. Get away from them. Yes. Oh, my God. I love him. He's he's so wonderful. And I think, uh, I think on the same kind of path uh, is Jeremy Howard as Terrence, who... I can't look at him and not think of him from Accepted, where his dream is to blow shit up with his mind. Yes, that's all I see. <laughs> and like this, he's basically playing the exact same character in this, where it's just like, I want to learn everything, I want to know everything, and I'm going to do weird-ass experiments. So if that's, if that's your one note, hammer it home, because you're good at it. Yeah, I really loved him in Accepted. Um, I, he has that, like, really good uh, pointed stare. I feel like he, like plays uber smart dork and just about everything I've ever seen him in and I loved him in this mm -hmm. movie and like with everything I always do like a weird deep dive into figuring out like what somebody else worked on and then I saw that um recently he's been doing a lot of voicing for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was like I'm gonna guess what turtle he is okay. before even looking it up and I was like all right you always play a dork I'm assume Donatello and I was right He's Donatello. Oh, yeah. He's got to be the best turtle. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I did not do that. I probably should be doing a little bit more research into, like, what everybody's doing now, but I never do. I'm... We're in college now. We're not in high school. We do not need to, like, have our what are they doing now epilogue thing <laughs> with, like, the white text on the black background. I think it's because, and this is something I'm, like, trying to grow out of so I can just enjoy being in the moment, but I'm such a, like, I'm such a Wikipedia person whenever I, like, try and enjoy any single piece of media. There's some things where I'm, like, I'm putting my phone away. But there's other ones, especially if I'm, like, passively watching, I'll just, like, get into a hole where I'm, like, oh, did you know that this film's right next to this thing so they had parties all the time? Uh, and I just need to, like, get better out of getting myself in the middle of a Wikipedia hole when I'm just trying to watch television. See, and that's the thing. 
BJ does the exact same thing. Oh my God. Now, she usually has seen the movie that we're sitting down to watch, especially for the podcast. Or I've seen it like recently. Like this one I hadn't seen in a while. So I was like, I need to actually pay attention to this. But like when we were watching Buffy or any of the stuff for Spooky Season that I've seen a million times, I was just on Wikipedia the whole time. I wait until the movie's done and then I browse Wikipedia well, for like an hour and a half. you've never seen most of them. See, that's what Elijah so that's does too. that's just a general thing. <laughs> like he waits till the end and then he looks over and he'll see me on my phone and I'll just be like, oh man, did you know they had to use like three different pigeons for the role of this one bird? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love him so much. <laughs> like I love listening to you two on your podcast because... Listening to you two is probably how it is for people listening to us. And I'm like, oh, is this what we're like? We're so adorable oh, then. <laughs> like, watching Sydney White the entire time, I was like, oh, man, it makes sense that I had such an attraction to Lenny because he's such an Elijah. Uh, <laughs> where it's, like, both in, like, appearance because I, like, love me some thick eyebrows, but also just, like, a sweet, sensitive one. But, like, I, I truly wish I had Elijah's ability to watch something and just like focus in and then save all of his questions for after because I will forget. I need to look it up now. Yeah, one of the reasons that I stopped doing actual reviews of films and instead just do like analysis and theory and lists is because I get so just distracted and I used to have to take notes in the theater because I, I couldn't remember what the fuck happened because I just get so... Like, I just want to know everything in that moment. And I can't, like, sit still. I have to watch any movie that I like. I've probably watched it, like, five times right after I've seen it. Just so that I make sure that I know what the fuck actually happened and didn't get distracted. Yeah, I do that too. If it makes you two, if it makes you two feel any better about your movie-watching habits, one of my bar regulars, who is very sweet, and this is not meant to roast her in any way... She will look up the incomplete plot synopsis for any movie before she sees it because she wants to know if it's worth her time and she wants to know if it's going to be upsetting. Oh my god. <laughs> so everything. Hereditary doesn't matter. All spoilers. Going into it completely aware of what's going to happen. I like get that though because so many people in my life are that. Um, I would totally do that if I had something that would tell me where a jump scare was just so I could not oh have god, something in my mouth. Oh god, that would save me. Why don't we have like a does the dog die website for jump scares? Oh my god. If y'all get on that, I swear to god, you'll corner the market. That would be the best idea because I don't know if we've ever like fully discussed this on here. I've like written about it other places, but I overproduce adrenaline and jump scares cause spikes in adrenaline. And what happens sometimes when your body produces too much adrenaline? Uh, you throw up. So oh I can't go to haunted houses because either I will reflexively punch somebody in the face because they scared me or I'll puke on them. And that's no good for anybody. I have never seen you more upset than we were watching host. Oh, I almost, <laughs> I like crawled through the couch. And that's the thing is so many people like, well, you watch horror all the time and you watch all these movies. How can they still affect you? And I'm like, because it's a biological response and I have zero control over it. Thank like, you. I don't I don't know what to tell you like that's just everybody reacts differently to scares I have to defend um, myself with that all the time yeah it's it's very frustrating that people just don't get it but whatever this is not a scary podcast we're actually out of spooky season but like we said at the end of spooky season um I can't ever stop fucking talking about horror movies so they're gonna keep coming up and Y'all are just going to have to deal We're with it. We're in your room, and it is like a shrine to the macabre. <laughs> I have two dead bats in here. You do? Thank you. Oh, I used to have one, but my old roommate made me give it away because it smelled like formaldehyde all the time. 
Oh. That was my uh, mummified shark head that's currently hanging in our living room. I love that. Because it came from the, uh, I guess it was a Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit mm-hmm. where they had like 30 or 40 of these shark heads in jars that had been there for like 45 yeah. years. So I bought it from a place where they had just took them out and they were drying and it just smelled like low tide and formaldehyde. Yeah, it was it was very potent. It was it was a lot. <laughs> um but let's 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 try to jump back in with some with some themes. I'm I wasn't even going to try to do a transition there. I thought about it like as Harmony was talking, I was like, "How can I bring this back?" and I was like, "I'm not even going to try. I'm just going <laughs> to do it." This movie has to do with socialism which is like capitalism which is like shark tank and we are talking about a shark all right you know what i'll fucking take it so yes one of the themes in this movie surprisingly um i didn't realize this in you know 2007 when i was 17 because at that point i was just like liberalism is fine and that's as far as i need to go and now uh, let's talk comrades uh, about this uh, the socialism in Sydney White. Vanessa, would you like to start? <laughs> so, like, it's one that doesn't make itself immediately apparent. I feel like it almost comes up more into, like, the middle of the movie, like, in the second act, where at the beginning of it, you're like, all right, teen movie about acceptance and, uh, you know, rocking about what makes your freak flag fly and it's like a Snow White thing. And then all of a sudden, it starts to specifically get into Rachel Witchburn's um, plan to open up a luxury center that is only for Greek sororities and Greek fraternities, and they're going to put it on top of the vortex. And um, so Sydney's whole plan is one of them should run for president. Mm -hmm. And in this process, they realize that everyone that's been neglected by the Greeks would be their best course of action of, like, who they should campaign to. So they start campaigning and very much, like, grassrooting their movement of, like, actually talking to the people affected and being like, what do you need? What are you lacking? Why do you feel like, you know, there isn't, there isn't enough resources for you? And by, like, explaining why this happening to the Vortex would mean that everyone else of these different groups would also eventually be disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. They start, like, pointing out how much the Greek system promotes elitism and how many more students there are that aren't Greek than ones that there are. And in this case, let's substitute this for, like, uh, I don't know, tax brackets. Uh Uh-huh. Like, this is a caste system. It's a very much a caste system, and the Greeks are the one percent. And like the entire reason why Sydney and the Vortex survives is because they managed to get the rest of the ninety nine percent to be like, "Hey, you should care about this small house because it eventually applies to everyone." For years, you've been oppressed by the Greek elite, who take everything for themselves and leave nothing for the rest of us. It's time for the rest of the school to take back the school. Most of you have no idea how great the campus acapella group is. And why would you? The social and cultural landscape is entirely run by the Greeks, and those guys are forced to practice in a dank basement that's hard on their vocal cords. Yeah. It's like a disease. Capitalism it's like is a disease. A disease. <laughs> it's going to take over. Well, there's even a moment, you know, in the middle of the election where, you know, they're fighting back against the Greeks. And I'm so glad that they included it because it seems like a throwaway moment, but there's just, you know, like random college guy, number five, like, I don't think he has a name, Mm -hmm. but he pulls one of their campaign flyers off of the, uh, like the bulletin board. And he goes, I think I'm actually going to vote this year. 
Yes. Oh my God. And it's this moment where you're like, oh God, like this is exactly what happens when people are just like, fuck it. Why bother? Because the Greeks are going to take over everything anyway. And I think it's like, you know, I think it's 87% of the school's like extracurricular funding goes to the Greek life, whatever the fuck, like all of their programming and only like less than 20% of the university is part of the Greek life. And if that is not a perfect metaphor and like, I mean, for 2007, this is very much some like Obama hope shit, but it is so much more relevant today. And, uh, like to an upsetting degree, I think. So speaking of yeah. upsetting about in the last 10 minutes of this movie when it's like these rousing speeches and it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, socialism. I uh, realized that this episode was going to be going up two days after the election. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> and I was then suddenly met with horror because I'm like, oh no, Everything can change in this yeah, time, like, and I'm scared. <laughs> like, we, we mention it pretty much every episode, and we do it because we want people to know. Like, we record super far in advance because I'm and neurotic. Usually, and, like, two weeks. Yeah, and Harmony needs time to edit. But we need to acknowledge it because if something, like, crazy happens, then people are like, well, why didn't you address it? Because uh, it didn't happen yet because we're in the past. Um, so, yeah, this is going to come out right after the election, and... Oh, good God, I'm hoping that Sydney White wins um, and that it's not four more years of Rachel Witchburn. But uh, yep. we'll we'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> like, I booked an out-of-town uh, stay for that time because I was like, I need some decompressed time and I need to have, like... Because I've just been real cooked up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, like, get somewhere and just isolate for a little bit and just, like, you know, focus on, like, writing and relaxing. And then I looked at the timeline and I was like, Oh, so I'm just going to be out away from home realizing that I'm just going to have to, like, face the election results. Oh, my God. I had something happen during the 2016 election like that where I didn't sleep at all, like, the night before because I was so fucking mm-hmm. stressed. And so I was living alone at the time. I've usually – I've had, like, eight roommates in this apartment in the last, like, ten years. But I was living alone at that particular moment, mm-hmm. and I – fall asleep on the couch at like 5 p.m. I wake up maybe like three, four hours later and I'm just seeing like a mismatch of people going, it'll be okay, guys. It'll be okay. Immediately followed by the person out of order now going, oh my God, what do we do? Oh my God. And it was just horrifying to see. That's where you're like, am I still asleep? Did I... Is this just an awful dream and this was just like a couch nap like, or like Absolutely and had... it's the problem like you ever have a nap and you wake up and you just feel like you're in a different dimension because you weren't yes, prepared all the to time. sleep? Yeah, so all I had that and then woke up somewhere else. It was like black mirror, it was terrifying. I like that's bananas. I feel like everybody remembers where they were on uh, election night the way everyone remembers specifically where they were on like 9/11 or other national tragedies. And I'm really happy I'm alone this year because last year, not last year, four years ago on election night, I don't know why I went to work that day. I was hosting an open mic because I'd been doing stand-up at that time. Oh. And my open mic went until like 2 a.m., which meant whatever the results were going to be, I had to stay and like still keep bringing people up as like everything is burning down. And then in the actual bar lobby outside of, like, where the mic was happening, they had a TV up with, like, 
moment to moment election responses. And so you could feel the energy of the room being like, all right, I think we're going to be fine to like it escalating. And I had to keep going up and like bringing up other comics. And then as soon as we realized what was happening, I would come up in between openly sobbing and still bring up the next comic until they like called it. And I was just lying on my back crying, being like, I guess we have two more hours of this. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. You're like the violinists (laughs) on the Titanic. I was going down to the ship the entire time. And as soon as the mic was over, I was like, I don't smoke anymore, but I was like chain smoking cigarettes in the parking lot. And one of the comedians went up to me and like put a hand on my shoulder and was like, Hey, everything's gonna be fine. And I was like, don't touch me. Like, oh, oh my God. I'm laughing, but like, it's the most uncomfortable laughter because I know exactly that feeling. It makes, <laughs> this just makes me feel like a really good friend of mine was in a production of Chicago the same weekend that the <clears throat> Aurora shooting happened at oh the Dark God. Knight. And he had to sing Mr. Cellophane. And for those out there who are not... Uh, musical theater uh, people like the, me the same weekend that a person shot up a movie theater this man had to sing if someone in the movie show yelled fire in the second row this whole place is a powder keg you'd notice him and oh. i know that he i know that he probably like just broke his blocking and just stood there because what the fuck are you gonna do at that point but oh god the world is is a tragedy so i i'm just feeling right now just like oh god what like this is gonna release and like what if trump wins and we're just here like socialism equality and then we have the crushing realization that like greek life is gonna take us all fucking down Mm -hmm. yeah i'm having this like oh sydney white she's like bernie sanders socialism hope i feel good Oh, wait, Bernie's not an option. He hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, we're settling for Tyler Prince's white savior ass. So we're stuck with the (laughs) very, very Republican frat house and the slightly less Republican frat house. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Cool. We sure are. Boy, let's go back to the fantasy world where Bernie Sanders wins. That is Sidney White, please. (laughs) Yes. Because Sidney White wins. Let's Let's go back to our fantasy world where Sidney White wins. One of the reasons that Sidney wins and also... Sydney White does one of my favorite movie tropes where something is taking place in a school and what you are learning about in school just happens to also be what's the theme of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Because she's... Weird how life lines up like that as we say all of the things we just talked about. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, because she's in her, you know, her poli-sci class or whatever and they talk about campaigning and they talk about like, you know, why did Kennedy get elected? And it's very much you know, Sydney's plan, which is very much like the Bernie Sanders plan, which is yes, to, to unite the marginalized voices. And I want to point out the, some of the marginalized voices that they bring up because it feels very different than a lot of teen movies, because mm-hmm. at this point, a lot of the teen movies that we've covered, they have, you know, their, their click moment where it's like, these are all the clicks. But with college, you don't really have cliques. You have people that are brought together because of, like, a mutual love for, like, an organization or it's an identity interest. It's not just a clique. So, like, one of the ones is, um, they, it's, like, the Polynesian dancers, which is, like, such a cool thing for, for a college to even have because that's, yeah. where else, where else are you going to get the Polynesian like group other than like a college or you know actual you know 
Polynesian communities. Um, so that was always really interesting. I like that they reach out to um, like Orthodox uh, Jewish students. Um, I like that in a weird way, I like that they reach out to ROTC, which is weird because it's like, oh, that's like baby military. But at the same time, even pointing out that even the systems in in power uh, that are supposed to be taking care of our military don't actually give a fuck about them. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good metaphor. And then one that, you know, I think is more personal f- just for us as the podcast is um, they go to the the one person performance for the the gender nonconforming student we don't know how they identify we don't want to assume but we do know that they are they are not a drag queen because they are seen later in just regular street clothes they they are working on a house Mm -hmm. while presenting the way that they were on stage which means that Mm -hmm. this this is this is their normal this is not like a costume this was not for a performance this is who they are yeah and a thing that i particularly liked seeing and this is always a this is always a subject that's bubbling under with me because I'm a, a seething pot of rage at all times, so it's always <laughs> bubbling. But I love that for all of the other things they did, they went to like the communities uh, that exist within these things, like the extracurriculars, the clubs, the you know the, the the specific things that brought all these people together. But they did not go to like a community center for queer people. They did not go to like the club or whatever. They went to the queer arts performance that had like a dozen people in it, including the eight of them. Yeah. And I absolutely, you know what? Fuck it. Gloves are off. I hate the community center in Cleveland because it does not service the community. It is absolute dog shit and does a really, really bad job of doing anything but staying open despite the community constantly giving it opportunities. So now Cleveland is opening its own queer mecca that will hopefully usurp it because I have issues with that, especially how turfy the people are that are in charge. That's off my chest now. I love that they didn't have to go to a thing like this in this movie. I also like that. Yes. I also like that they're they're not just going to the community center to be like, oh hey, this is for our own benefit. They're like, no, we're gonna support queer art because no one else is, and that is so cool to me. That was really specifically touching when she like like. Okay, so I feel like a lot of campaigning things, it's really tempting to go to the centers, like queer community centers, where it's like, oh, that's 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 where I seem to think everyone gathers, where, as you very accurately pointed out, a lot of them are extremely turfy. A lot of, even Los Angeles, which is supposed to be like a mecca, still has a lot of like turfy leanings in certain community centers that aren't as openly addressed. And then when it comes to like, Queer people specifically being like, here's the art that I make and here's the things that I do. You don't see that same support. It's more just like a performative picture thing. Mm -hmm. So when like the performer looks out and sees that there are like butts in the seats and they're engaging and they're supporting, it feels so much more than just a photo op. Yeah. Because it's real. It's authentic. Like Sydney actually cares. And mm-hmm. the, that is probably the moment that is the strongest because up until that point, yeah, you might think like, okay, this is just, this is how you campaign is you, you get involved with the groups, but that is the moment where it's like, oh no, no, she does care. Like she genuinely cares about other people and wants, wants things to be better for everyone else because she recognizes that there, there isn't equity. There isn't even equality. And 
that is just so powerful and it just makes me feel really good. Um, the one thing that I think we like absolutely do have to acknowledge though, is that this movie is white as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so white. So white. It's, it's Sydney white, white. Yeah, it is <laughs> Sydney white, white. Like even when we are doing kind of like our outreach to the marginalized communities, like she's not going to, you know, the, the black fraternities. Um, really the only black character that we have um, is our, our, our sleepy dwarf, uh, you know, metaphor. So he's asleep for most of the time. Um, the jet lag eventually after three years. Yeah, yeah. So he's like sleeping a lot. And then like the moments where he's actually full of energy, one of them is at the gym and he's running. And we also know that he's uh, an African immigrant. Mm -hmm. So like, that's a weird sort of like, racist tinge line. I I think he's Mm -hmm. actually Nigerian. Yeah, uh, Nigerian. I think think that's what it is. Yeah. So uh, like, I get it in like what they're trying to say because like how else are you going to like draw the parallel of like the sleepy you know whatever personally you could have come up with any way it could have been somebody who's like neurotically studying and falls asleep all the time because they don't sleep because they're working so hard probably would have been smarter yeah i think so but then sydney does that later so i guess you're double dipping yeah 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 because you know oh yeah it's a snow white metaphor and you know she's she's got to fall asleep at some point i can we just for a second talk about like the other theming of this movie which is the snow white thing so you have the yes. poisoned apple where they corrupt her apple hard drive i lost my shit because the first time i watched it i don't know why i like missed every single snow white allegory i missed literally every single one my first time around <laughs> um, like i from her name to like the names of the characters somehow i missed literally everything until poison apple and i was like oh witch burn there's seven of them. I am 78% into this movie and I just got it. I also love Sydney doesn't get like her woodland creatures to help clean the house. Um, you know, she gets all of the community to come and they build the house. They build the house mm-hmm. together. They don't just clean it, which I, I really like that. But my favorite of all the Snow White things and like I had to like... Harmony and I will like talk through movies when we're watching, and I was like, "No, no, no, shut, 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 shut up! You need to hear this line. Yeah, it's you really braced funny. me like forty seconds early, going. This is the best part. It's of my life. favorite Snow White joke in the whole thing. It's when they're out campaigning, and our seven dorks are carrying campaign signs with them over their shoulders, as if they, you know, were pickaxing, and they walk by Rachel Witchburn and they say, "Hi ho, bye ho," oh and I. God crack up every time because it's so stupid but it is perfect it is yes if you're gonna if you're gonna do the gimmick live the fucking gimmick and they do Mm -hmm. don't don't go don't half-ass something you full-ass it and you take the obvious low-hanging fruit (laughs) lean in lean in you're doing it you made the thing i think that's why it like took me so long to figure it out because i feel like in the beginning they were like a smidge hesitant to like lean into the kitsch of doing the snow white thing but like give it to me you told me you're doing the thing i'm sold on the thing i will never hold anyone against like leaning into a theme and this and this isn't the only movie that does this sort of thing i mean we we have a cinderella story we have beastly we have these movies they exist I like what Sydney White does probably the best um, of those because it does it. It's cute and campy, but it's not hokey. 
Well, it's also not directly necessary for the plot. You could, like, the Snow White stuff is cute and fun, but you don't need it to tell this story. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I agree with that. And I think one of the other, like the Snow White aspects, obviously the the hot or not, that's the that's the magic mirror that's telling you who mm-hmm. the fairest of them all is. And I think that leads us into another one of the one, another one of the themes throughout this, um, which sort of has to deal with what we expect of women and what women internalize is expected of them. So I'll throw it to either of you. Um, you know, what sort of what sort of responses do you have for that? Well, Vanessa, you you brought this to the to the party, so I'm gonna let you go first because you've prob- had a lot more experience with this movie than I have. <laughs> I've watched it so many times; it, it's one of my like, I don't know. I feel like I have just like a rotation of rom coms or teen movies that I like throw in between everything else when I just need to be like spoon fed and comforted. But this one specifically does a lot for me because. I feel like women tend to get compartmentalized into certain places of like you're either this or this and you can't have either. Mm -hmm. Um, On the fundamental sense, it's just like you get Madonna or whore. On other senses, it's like you're either like smart and unappealing or you're kind of like a tomboy, but X. And so much of this movie makes me have to think about a lot of the very stupid expectations that are societal rules that put on that are put on me that even when other people even when I've like removed myself from the circles that try and make me uphold those things I still internalize them mm-hmm. uh, I still make myself hold myself to those standards of like trying to be everything for everyone and it's not until you like even if it takes something like a teen movie to point out that it's stupid that has to be my smelling salt sometimes to be like it's dumb trying to hold yourself to these standards to being everything for everyone is dumb it's not possible the only like standard you should hold yourself to is like you and yourself and every single character is very much that dinky is still dinky her big haired self she's like she's our dolly parton in this movie essentially she really is we were just going off about like how perfect dolly parton is yesterday and like dolly parton is I remember a while ago, um, somebody pointing out that Dolly Parton doesn't call herself a feminist, and but she like is one. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because a lot of like early waves of feminism were like, well, you have like big tits and you own your sexuality and you have big hair, so like you know you're clearly doing that for men. But Dinky isn't, and it's one of those things where at the end of the day every woman gets to be the kind that she wants to be uh, without holding themselves to any kind of standard. And very rarely do you get to the end of a teen movie and not a single person has had to face a makeover. Uh Yeah. I, I relate to, I relate to this in like a very weird way. So I know that I've touched on it kind of in like a joking manner before on the show, but I've never like really dived in um but I grew up uh in in the world of beauty pageants I competed as a child like toddler and tiara age like you know I I was six years old when JonBenet Ramsey was murdered so like that was like a huge thing for me because I was also a six-year-old pageant queen um and I I stopped doing pageants in junior high And then my goth friends found out that I did pageants as a kid and they dared me to 
run again, thinking that like I wouldn't do it or I couldn't do it. And Mm. I was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyway and prove you wrong because that's just the kind of person that I am. And a bunch of people dropped out of the pageant because I was like the weird goth kid, but they knew that like I could clean up nicely and that I was really good at public speaking. And they were all afraid that I was going to beat them in the beauty pageant that like this, you know, quote unquote, like loser, this person that, you know, is not as high on the social standings as they are was going to win this. Um, and they didn't think that I deserved it. So they just dropped out. So then that way, like they couldn't be embarrassed. And Mm -hmm. I remember it being like this really uncomfortable thing because then as I got older, it sort of became a a point of pride for me that I did not look like the girls that I was competing against, but I, I was still there and I was still competing and I was still holding my own. And even the, like the very last pageant that I competed in, you know, I, it was like the all of the girls in the town, like, so every town where I grew up, like, they had a set of queens, and then at the end of the year, we all competed against each other for, like, the county title, and I ended up placing in the top five, and people were, like, blown away because I'm short, and I had, like, huge boobs, and I was, you know, very curvy, and people just were like, I don't understand this, like, how could she, how could she do this, and how could she beat me, and it just always kind of made me feel really bad about it where it's like so many people think that I don't deserve to be here because I'm just because I'm not like them. And I internalized that for many, many years of thinking that like, I'm, I'm not good enough or that like there's something wrong with me because you know, why, why don't I want to be more like them? And so then I see something like Sydney white where, you know, she, she comes to, comes to the sorority or comes to the school really doesn't change anything about who she is and is like, nope, this is just who I am and people are going to have to deal with it. And I don't know, like it just makes me feel really, really good because I spent a very long time feeling really bad being that, being that girl in the sorority that like Rachel keeps saying like that you gain 27 pounds of breakup weight. Who's like desperately trying to like fix everything about her to like be like everybody else. Like, Oh God, those feelings are awful. They're just terrible feelings that I wish nobody would ever have. Yes, my God. I it's this kind of like comforting catharsis where when you get told like the whitest appeal is the thing that you should aim for, finally having a piece of media that's just like, no, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a good thing. Well, I it's especially so love one of the things I love the most about like kid or teen media is that it can take these complicated subjects like socialism or like conformity and boil it down to a really idealized way and mm-hmm. some people might think of like oh it's dumbing down a, a more complicated subject and yeah that's that's fair especially from a case-by-case basis but why does it have to be more complicated than this you know like why could Bernie Sanders have not been, like, so simple? Exactly. Like, I can't remember who it was that said it, but there's some quote that's basically, like, if your message can't be understood by everyone, you're not actually that smart. Yeah. Um, and I see it all the time, especially whenever I see, like, young neoliberals on the internet um, trying to, like, talk down to someone or, like, intentionally maybe being like, uh, I went to college about the way they communicate. Mm-hmm. Um and where it's like, well, is your message for everyone then? If it's if it has to be like looked at with a syllabus, 
there's nothing wrong with simple. Simple doesn't mean bad. And that's why I love a lot of like children's and teen media. Cause like sometimes I like that it's that easy to get across because it's not that difficult of a message to understand. Mm -hmm. It makes it digestible. I mean, trying Mm -hmm. to explain why socialism is a good thing and why, you know, just letting the elites stay in positions of power is a bad thing shouldn't be as complicated as it apparently seems to fucking be because there are somehow undecided voters in this country. But Mm -hmm. then you have something like Sidney White where it's like you can visibly show somebody like this is what's wrong. Here's how you fix it. And here's why you fix it in a way that doesn't feel like you're being beaten over the head with it. You don't feel like you're being accused of being like a bad person for not understanding. Um, So I think that like this is a really palatable introduction to like very, very complex issues And I really, really hope that there are some people who watched this movie who were able to, like, pull those messages from it and, you know, use it towards their futures. And I might just be a a simple rural suburb Ohio child, but I gotta say, (laughs) I don't have a lot of college learning because I didn't go. But I'm really (laughs) loving our very casual sleepover style conversations because I think this is the best way to communicate. If you're going to have a conversation with someone where it's like you need to push up your invisible glasses in order to feel morally superior, then you shouldn't be having that conversation. And as far as like the themes of this movie goes, like, yes, I love it. Clearly there are checks and balances in place by bad people to make it so this isn't this simple. But you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. I love this movie. I do too. I love this and movie I think too. I think that was I think that was a beautiful way to sort of surmise the the power that we're we're taking from Sydney White. So Harmony, Vanessa has brought Sydney White and they are asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you going to write anything on the note back? I'm going to say yes. But <laughs> the reality of it is all the people in this movie might not go to prom. You know, that's true. Okay, yeah. so like... So I, w- I would go to prom, <laughs> but realistically, I will go wherever the people I want to hang out with end up that night. We're having a cool, that cool frat party where everyone ends up naked as a prank. Is, is that a thing? I didn't go to college. Yes, that is a thing. Oh, okay. That is a See, thing. <laughs> I didn't go to college either, but I also recently learned it's not normal to have like four proms. Yeah. <laughs> That's no. a thing. There's four proms? Buffy has like four proms. They're alluded yeah. to, at least. The... My school had four proms. We had like formals. We had like winter formal and like homecoming and there were other things, I guess, but I I don't I don't understand. I There were other things. It's just for some reason I like I recently learned because of media and like talking to other people like upperclassmen get them but my school was so small that you just like got to go to every single one so I went to prom four times (laughs) that is so wild like my school your junior and senior year you could go if you were a sophomore or younger you could only go if your date was a junior or a senior I've been going since I was like a freshman (laughs) 
<laughs> I got, I remember I got asked when I was a freshman by a senior and it was like the friend of a girl who was on tech crew and this guy had come to see the musical and thought I was like super hot and was like, can you ask her to prom for me? And I was like, I don't fucking know you. No. <laughs> and everyone was like, but you're a freshman. This is a huge deal. I was like, I don't fucking know that guy. I'm not going. This is a big opportunity. Sleep your way to prom. <laughs> so stupid. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that you're taking Sydney White to prom. I also would take Sydney White to prom because I think that she's just great. Agreed. So, Vanessa, where can people find you on the internet if they have fallen in love with you listening to you on our show the same way that we love you? <laughs> Thank you. I love y'all. I'm, like, obsessed with y'all. I can't wait to hang out. Oh, I look forward um, to it, too gonna happen i'm gonna make a uh drive drive yeah drive through driveway uh movie night yes um where can you find me uh you can find me on at nesgrit and all forms of social media i have a website um i haven't updated it for six years but it's vanessagritten.com occasionally i will stream on twitch under the handle nesgritten as well and you can find my podcast kicking and screaming that i host uh with my fiance um who we've mentioned on this podcast and it's just a uh giant sweet little uh queer mo that i love so much um and it's called quick kicking and screaming and it's everywhere that podcasts are available and basically what we do is we pick a horror movie and we pick a martial arts movie and try and pair them together to see if it works as a double feature so far it has eventually we're gonna stump each other and i'm waiting for that day to happen (laughs) (laughs) i am not a podcast person i say as someone who is currently recording a podcast i listen to like four but yours is one that I listen to because I am a person who is like a a very big fan of martial arts and kung fu movies but I don't always know where to start and I certainly don't have people to talk to or like listen talk to about them so like I your thing appeals to me and it's very nice and other people hopefully will listen to it too because it should be appreciated And for friends out there who don't know, Vanessa and Elijah are similar to Harmony and I in that they are also a blue-green team. So... A curly-blue-green team. A curly-blue-green team. Curly-blue-green team. So if you're like, I don't know, I don't know this person, um, you kind of do know this person because it's just like looking into the bizarro world mirror and it's wonderful. I feel like as couples, we're both the Spider-Man pointing meme. (laughs) God, that's so true. Oh, my God. I'm going to Photoshop the shit out of that now. I have to. It's going to happen. Yeah! It's going to (laughs) happen. Uh, as always, friends, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. Since spooky season is over, if you want to know what we're talking about next week, you better follow us because that's where we're going to make the announcements, as well as where you can find these movies for streaming. You can find me on the. Instagram and Twitter at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? I am also on Instagram and Twitter at Velocitraptor. Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. One day mm-hmm. I'm going to just message the social media sites and be like, hey, nobody's using the one on Twitter. Can I have it? Without the underscores. <laughs> and friends, because it is no longer spooky season, that means we officially... <gasps> have a motherfucking patreon you should subscribe to our patreon become patrons of us harmony's making me watch teen boy movies i'm really upset about it but i'm sure you will all love it i know they're not all bad but a lot of them are really bad i don't think the possum was that bad (laughs) so go there we'll do that harmony has some sweet mixtapes uh 
I don't know why I called it a mixtape. We're not mailing you shit. It's a, it's, it's a playlist. Hey, you, you, you pay me to do it, I'll do it. You know, that's true. If you pay us to do the it. The sets are coming back. Harmony, Harmony will make you an actual mixtape. Um, we got, so we've, yeah, we've got some, we got some sweet playlists. We've got mini-sodes. Um, got some articles. Got a bunch of cool stuff for you. So subscribe today. Become patrons. And, you know, give us as much love as, as we give to you. But on that note... Sydney Prom's going to what? Sydney Prom. Sydney White's going to prom. <laughs> Vanessa, thank you so much for being here with us. And everyone, have a wonderful, wonderful week. We love you. Bye. 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 Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Pirate Ninja would be the coolest thing ever. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.